There, um, in the scriptures, we, we read very often about two of the Jewish sects of the first century, uh, the Pharisees, the Perishim, and the Sadducees. We see them all throughout, spoken about, especially in the Gospels, the Tzadukim, who were sort of the priests, and they were the ones in charge of the temple um, aspects. And then the Pharisees were really the, the, the rabbis of the people. And um, so, so they wanted to just bring everybody in and, and you know, they were sort of the, 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 the temple is you type of people and the Sadducees were of the, the temple temple. And, uh, but there are other sects within Judaism. Uh, as Christianity grew, that was actually a Jewish sect called the Nazarene, the Nozrim. Uh, but there was also a sect which is not really mentioned explicitly in the New Testament, but it is referenced uh, and they are called the Essenes. Okay, I got a couple of nods, so I, people seem to know what, or even heard of what the Essenes are. They, they sort of got into the news a little bit when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, because the theory is that they were the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, they lived down in the south of Israel, in the desert, or in the wilderness, as we often see. Uh, they led sort of, even though they scattered around Israel, they led very uh, secluded lives. They li lived holy and pious lives communally, um, they, they devoted themselves to prayer and to study, and they, and they had immersions, water immersions daily, which was not something that was done regularly. We see mikvah, which is the precursor to what we now call, often call baptism in the church, which was actually a Jewish thing called mikvah. We see even now when you're converted into Orthodox Judaism, you go through a mikvah, which is a, an immersion into water, uh, and there are other other times in the scripture where we see immersion into water if you're in an unclean state and so you go to the water of mikvah and you come out clean but they these Essenes did water immersion daily so so they were doing their thing and all of a sudden one day about 2,000 years ago the Lord spoke to one Essene uh, this one Essene's name was Yohanan and he was out there in the desert, you know, in the area of En Gedi. My wife and I, when we were in Israel, we visited that area. It's a beautiful desert mountain area. It's where, where David was hiding from King Saul back in the day. Uh, and that's where these Essenes sort of hung out. And the Lord spoke to one, and his name was Yohanan. And he went, yes, Lord. And the Lord told him in spirit, open your scriptures. So he opened the scriptures, and the Lord said to him, Go to the last prophecy ever recorded in Scripture. And this was before there was a New Testament. So he opened up his Tanakh, and he went to the books of the prophets, and he went to the very last prophet, the Italian prophet Malachi. Malachi. And he went to the very last prophecy of Malachi <laughs> Oh, we getting some giggle snorts out of the Malachi thing, huh? <laughs> so he went to the very last prophecy of the prophet Malachi and it, and it, and it says behold I am sending Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And this Essene named Yochanan said, yeah. 
And the Lord said in his spirit, I'm putting that spirit into you. And then the Lord told him in spirit, go to Isaiah. I think it's 40, but I could be wrong about that. He said, read it. And he said, there's a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make the paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. And Yochanan went, yeah. And the spirit went to Yochanan and said, that's you. Mashiach is here. Go make paths straight. Go tell high places to lower. Go tell low places to higher. Make the paths straight. Tell people to repent. Because the Lord is here. The great and terrible day of the Lord is at hand. So this Yochanan said, Hineni, here I am. And he got out of his little comfort abode in the desert. And he went all around Israel saying, repent, repent. And as was his custom as an Essene, he immersed people in, in water. As he had them repent of their sins and cleanse themselves, he had them go into water, the waters of repentance. And he did this all throughout Israel and he became very well known. He became like the guy. He was like living out the calling of the Lord. The Lord called him. He answered the prayer, and people were mesmerized, but he was getting followers. Like, if there was a stadium around that time, he would fill the stadium. He was getting a lot of followers. Disciples, he was getting disciples. But he knew his place. Because even the Pharisees and the Sadducees said of him, Who are you? What are you doing? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? Are you Mashiach himself? Who are you? And he always was very clear. I'm not that one. I'm not him. He's coming after me. And I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he went through Israel declaring the message of repentance to make way for the coming of the Lord, and he knew his place in the kingdom so very well. His role, his divinely ordained, authoritative role, he stayed in that space. Because when the Lord, people said, what are you doing? And who are you? Who are you? Who are you? He always said, I'm nothing. There's somebody coming after me. There's somebody coming after me. There's somebody coming after me. Yeah, you see me baptizing in water. You see me immersing in water. But there's somebody coming after me that's going to immerse in spirit and in fire. He knew his place. But he became so popular that he became known as Yochanan Hamatbil. John, the immerser. And it all came to a head. The culmination of the ministry given to him by the Spirit of God came to a head at that moment when he's at the Jordan River immersing people. 
And Yeshua himself walks up. And he says, Hine seha Elohim. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Yeshua, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, says, it's time that you immersed me. And he said, huh? May it not be. You are the clean, the clean one who makes everyone clean. You should be immersing me. And Yeshua said, no, it's got to be this way. Because he was immersing in water. And then Yeshua goes into the water and comes back up. And just as John said, the Spirit of God came on this one like a dove. And John saw that. At that point, Yeshua goes into the desert, spends 40 days being tempted by Hasatan, comes out, and we are now in the ministry of salvation, of resurrecting the dead, of opening the eyes of the blind, of opening the ears of the deaf. Thank you, Yohanan. You've served your purpose well. Time to go back to the desert, to your Essene family maybe. I don't know, go read a book. Go back to your daily immersion, whatever you're doing, go, go be pious. Well done, good and faithful servant, Yochanan. You have handed the baton to the Mashiach. Now, you got to kind of read between the lines to see what happened to this Yochanan afterwards. We can't really fully get into his head. But when I read the scriptures of what happened since then, something seems a little amiss. Because Mashiach has come and he's doing his thing, fulfilling prophecy at every step. But it seems that Yochanan is still telling people to repent and still immersing them in an immersion of repentance. And he still is accumulating, it seems, disciples. So much so that it was years later, I mean years later, Paul, Rabbi Paul, Shaul, was doing his ministry. It was like his third ministry trip. And he approaches this guy who is, I'm a disciple of John. Huh? Wait, when you got immersed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And the guy actually said, this is years later. I don't know what you're talking about, Holy Spirit. I got immersed into an immersion by John. And Paul had to clarify, and others had to clarify, take him aside and clarify. He's like, no, John immersed you in an immersion of repentance, but there's an immersion of the Spirit. And he had to be clarified. And Paul laid his hands on him, and the Spirit came on him, and he started to preach how Yeshua is the Mashiach all throughout Israel. Why? So many years later, are there disciples of John? Well, you got to read into this thing. I don't know why there were disciples of John. But is it possible that God ordained him for a thing and that the, the culmination of that thing happened and he kept doing it 
And that was out of God's authoritative mission for him. I don't know, but I got to wonder if he had disciples, why didn't he go to them and say, go follow him now? Go, shoo, shoo, shoo. Look, he's talking on the hills of the Sea of Galilee. Go listen to him. I'll go with you. Why didn't that happen? Why was he still accumulating disciples? Maybe that's why God had to throw him into prison. Because he's doing this ministry of repentance thing. And he wound up telling the wrong guy to go repent. He goes to Herod, who wasn't exactly the nicest guy in the world, and starts to judge him on, like a, on an aspect of Torah. Why are you judging a, a, a king of the world on, on an aspect of Torah? Especially about the girl he's shacked up with. Yeah, that's really going to go over really well. Yeah, he's going to really appreciate that. So he gets thrown into prison, and for, it says for two years, when, the, when the theologians look at the Bible and say, how long was Yohanan, the immerser, in, in prison? It seems to be about two years. And this wasn't a prison that we have now. You know, prison stinks, but you got some rights in there. You got your meals, you got your library. This is guy's probably like chained to the wall in a dungeon with rats eating his feet. This is the greatest prophet ever that ever walked the earth, according to the Lord, was now in prison, questioning if he did it right. Because one thing we know, while he was imprisoned and his disciples went to visit him, probably to sneak him some food or something, because he wasn't getting any from Herod's guards. He told his disciples to go to Yeshua and say, are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? And Yeshua said, tell him that eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are hearing. Lepers are being cleansed. The messianic mandate is going forth. It is alive. It's happening. But here is Yochanan, a man with a mission from God, questioning if he did it right. Have you ever questioned, like, like your role? Like, Adonai, you called me to do this. Have I accomplished the mission? Did I actually do what you told me? Are you the one or should I be waiting for another? Maybe Yochanan fell into the mindset of Israel, which expected a Mashiach like Moses. Because it says, Moses said in Deuteronomy, one is coming after me and one is from your brothers who will be like me. And you have to listen to him. So the children of Israel are saying, okay, there's somebody that's going to deliver us like Moses did. Somebody that's going to come and bring judgment to Gentile pagan nations. Somebody that's going to rescue us from our oppressors. Somebody that's going to kick Rome out of this place like Moses would have. And this is what the children of Israel were waiting for. And this is why they didn't recognize 
God when he showed up in Yeshua because they were waiting for something else. Because they didn't realize that when he said, I'm going to bring somebody like me, somebody like me is going to come listen to him. Yeah, Moses did the big deliverance thing, but he also humbled himself. Yeah, Moses is going to do the big deliverance thing, but he also laid his life down for the children of Israel, for their salvation, and said, if they're not going, take me. And that's the Mashiach that showed up. Maybe Yochanan was expecting something else. Maybe in his end times theology, him being in a dungeon for two years didn't quite fit the story. And I don't know what was in his head. I hope that when the disciples went back to Yochanan and said, deaf eyes, deaf eyes? Deaf ears are being opened. Eyes, blind eyes are seeing. I hope that he in his change said, glory, hallelujah. He was the right guy. I did it right. I did it right. I could. I said to Israel, listen to him. And people are. I hope he did that. I hope he didn't go to his grave wondering if he ever did it right. But disappointment is something that the children of God have to deal with. Because we either take a look at what we've done and we compare it to the calling and our tr- we compare it to the translation of what we think this is going to look like and we get disappointed. And I believe that disappointment is, 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 like, uh, is, is rampant in the body of Messiah. And it's something that, that, that Hasatan can use to, to bring us feeling low. Because like, like, like we think it would have been this, but now it's this. We get disappointed when we're just expecting the God who is to come and all the things and we wind up missing the God who is today. <laughs> We, when we keep looking for the feast, we miss our daily bread. And when we can keep comparing where we are today, the blessings of today, with some junk in our head of what it's supposed to look like, we wind up getting a disappointed spirit But remove the disappointed and know that you are appointed by God for a thing. But God keeps the end kind of hidden. And I believe it's even the same way right now. We have all this theology about what it's going to look like when Yeshua comes. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I think we're all going to be a little surprised. I really do. I mean, you know, there's certain things that I kind of feel more strongly about. The church is waiting for a rapture. When the rapture is not up to heaven, the rapture is to Israel. That's where we're going to meet him. That's where he's bringing us. So I hate to throw a little monkey wrench into that theology. You could take that one home and think about it. But the, the things that Adonai does, he keeps things a little secret. He keeps things a little bit behind the veil. So when it happens, nobody can boast. But we all glorify the Lord and say, 
the way you have this planned is greater than anything that I could have ever figured out on my own. And there's peace in knowing that. You know, us as creative beings, I think sometimes we struggle. Like, some people here create with their hands. Not everybody does, but some people create, you know, art or music. You know, or a thing I was, I was sharing with a daughter of the king who comes here about these, these dolls that she creates. If anybody's on Facebook, you see these incredible dolls. So in my stupid head, I'm like, why aren't these in like every craft store in America? Well, that's my own head on like what success looks like. But I'm here to tell you whatever your offering is into the, into the ecosystem of the kingdom, God will take and he will use for his purposes and for his glory. And it is good. And I think, I think artistic people struggle with this. It's something that I've had to wrestle with over the past couple of weeks. You know, Susie wrote a lot of songs, and we know she has several albums out. She hasn't written in a while. And people know here that Susie and I are, are, are really big fans of the, of the Broadway play Hamilton. Like, the music of Hamilton, like, put the Beatles on the back burner for me. I like it so much. I know people are upset about that. And all of a sudden, we were like, like, what if we took that opening song about Hamilton, which is like a biographical song about Alexander Hamilton? How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? How about if we take that and not make it about Alexander Hamilton, but make it about Yeshua? We're like, that sounds good. So Susie starts getting to her writing. And from my very unbiased perspective. <laughs> she hit it out of the park. I love it. And we had an amazing time. Like, okay, because the song involves many, many parts. It's choral. It's Broadway. So I'm like, call Nate. I'm like, can you and your family sing a part? You know, and, 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 and you know, Steph and, and Dawn. And, and I even contacted people that I haven't seen in a couple of years. Remember John Wright? He's, he's got voice like butter. So I call him up, and I was like, hey, can you just like sing a part on your computer and email me the file? And what came out of it, and I had to do the mixing. I've never mixed a song before, and I did the mixing, and what came out I thought was really awesome. So all of a sudden, my stupid head gets in the way. This is a million-dollar song. <laughs> was I obvious about it? This, this, this sucker's going to get me out of working full time. Maybe now I could be like that full-time rabbi thing. Instead of schlepping my tuchus to work five days a week, once those millions come in, I'll be all set. So we finished the song. And what a joy it was to do it. To sing with the, some Mishkanites and to record and to learn how to mix. And to put it onto YouTube and iTunes. I honestly have no clue what's going to happen with the song. 
I don't have a clue. But Adonai has called us all to bring forth loaves and fishes. He turns it into a big feast. That's God's job. According to his perfect will, not ours. And disappointment can come in when your vision of what it should be is greater than actually what it is. But really what it is is even greater than what you thought because it is, a, it is an, an entity in the ecosystem of the kingdom that God uses, and that's eternal. So much greater. What Yeshua did on the cross is greater than any rabbinic messianic prophecy fulfillment that they could have come up with. Adonai is in the business of doing greater things. Greater than what we can do as humans. You know what I could do as a human? I could spend some money to advertise on Facebook. but Adonai is going to do what he's going to do. And that's where the shalom is. It's like a message in the bottle. You throw it out in the ocean, and whoever it reaches has more to do with the ocean than it does with you. So I want you to know today that you and what you bring in to the ecosystem of the kingdom is essential. And I don't know why Yochanan Hapmatbil continued on with a ministry that seemed to be done once the Spirit landed on Yeshua. I don't know why he did it. Maybe he was, you know, maybe that really was from the Lord, and I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm wrong. But we all can get into disappointment. And I charge you today that you and what you bring is not a disappointment. It is an appointment of the Lord. So be encouraged. What you bring to this table, to the table of Yeshua, is a piece of meat that is essential for the meal that God is preparing for this world. In Yeshua's name, amen.